It's uh, great to be with you this morning. Uh, it's been a while since I've been here at City Church. Uh, it's great to see one-third of your faces. Uh, but you need to know what people like me, they get past 70, what a challenge that is. See, because when you get past 70, you'll notice that your computer doesn't work like it used to. Uh, so although you can access that face recognition in this computer of those 70-year-olds like me, uh, names have disappeared from the hard drive. <laughs> you know, So when you're wearing a mask that hides two-thirds of your face, it makes that challenge even greater. So please be patient with me and with Cheryl as we try to remember names. Uh, I'm sure I'll remember most, but uh, I'll find, I'm sure, the hard drive, sure enough, is not working like it used to work. <laughs> well, have you ever had an experience with other Christians that has left you with a deeper desire to pray? Have you had that experience? I had that experience occasionally in my home. And that happens uh, when after Cheryl has gone to bed, she goes to bed early, like 7.30, and I don't follow until about three hours later. And so sometimes I'll remember I need something in the bedroom, and I think I'm entering the bedroom after she has crawled into bed and perhaps is asleep, and I'll interrupt her. She has not crawled into bed. She's not asleep. She's beside her bed. She's on her knees, and she's praying. If you knew her, you know that was not an easy thing to do just physically. She has two metal rods up her back. Uh, it covers her entire spine on either side. Her back is not exactly flexible. <laughs> uh, she's a tad weak. You'll see that she has a walker now when you turn around and see her later today. She has a walker. She's not very stable. It's a chore uh, to kneel. It's a chore to get back up. And when I see that, I think to myself, I have so much to learn about praying. The passage today has the disciples experiencing something similar because they see Jesus praying. And in verse 1 we read, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. Now, in Luke's gospel, this is the fifth time, the fifth time they've either seen Jesus pray, or Jesus going to pray, or Jesus coming back to pray, the fifth time. So that itself is a great lesson on prayer, isn't it? That if the Son of God is in need of praying, consistently and habitually, what does it say to the sons and daughters of Adam about our need to pray? So Jesus responds to this request by his disciples to be taught how to pray. So first, he does teach them what to pray. That's the Lord's Prayer. We're not going to talk about that today, although we're going to read it, and we already prayed it. So he teaches them what to pray in the first part of how he responds. The second part of how he responds, he teaches them how to pray. He teaches them the attitude of prayer. Not just the content of prayer, but the attitude necessary if we're going to learn how to pray. So it's that second lesson, how to pray, we're talking about today. 
Let's look at this passage. If you have your Bibles or your smartphones, let's turn to Luke chapter 11. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are uh, evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is God's word. We're going to look at the parable of the persistent friend. We're going to look at, as you see there in your uh, notes that are in the bulletin, the outline is there for you, uh, what this parable doesn't teach and what this parable does teach. Let me pray. And we'll look at this parable on prayer. Our great God, we come before you as needy people, Lord. And Lord, one of our needs is that we need to learn and grow and mature in the way and the times and the persistence with which we pray. So be our teacher as you taught the disciples. Teach us. Have your way with our hearts. Deal with our wills. Change our affections and grow us as men and women and boys of boys and girls who pray. Lord, be now our guide, be glorified in our response to these words in Christ's name. Amen. So first of all, and very shortly, we could talk a lot about these next two points I'm going to make, uh, but very shortly, so we can focus on the second part, what does this parable not teach? Well, two things. It doesn't teach this, that I expect God to be reluctant to give us anything when we pray. This is not teaching that God's reluctant to give us anything. So in this story of this reluctant friend to give his friend what he needs, it is not telling us God like that reluctant friend is what God is like. That's not what this is teaching. In fact, it's contrasting that friend's response to his friend's needs 
with God who is not ever reluctant to respond to his children. It's a story of contrast, not a similarity. So God's not like that. It doesn't teach that. The second thing it doesn't teach is that we should expect God to give us everything we pray for. And by your own experience, I'm sure you could already testify to that, not everything we pray for, God is going to give. God always answers prayer. He'll say yes, or he'll say no, or he'll say I'm not saying. But he always answers prayer. But he will never give us everything we ask for. This parable is not teaching that. So that's the first point, very briefly. What the parable doesn't teach. So what does the parable teach? Well, first of all, God honors our prayers because we are persistent. Because of what we do. Look at verse 8. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will arise and give him whatever he asks. This impudence means shameless persistence. Because he has the shameless persistence to keep asking and asking and asking. His friend will give him what he requests because of that persistence. Not because they're buddies. Because he persistently asks for the same thing. So we, in this whole story, see this thing of persistence even reemphasized when Jesus says, Ask, seek, knock. Those are words of increasing persistence. To ask is simple, to seek is even more, and to knock is even greater. They are a progression of increasing persistence in what is done. So here we see that emphasis by the parable itself and Jesus' teaching to ask and to seek and to knock. Now, we know with small children, whether you have them or not, you've seen children ask, do they need to be taught to be persistent? <laughs> no. No, they are persistent. They say, Daddy, can, can, can I have a new bike? And you say, well, son, no, it's not the right time to have a bike. Most children will not say, okay, Dad, thanks, I understand, I got it, I'll wait till later. No, they're going to say, Dad, I'm on a bike. No, no, son, it's not the right time to get a bike. So not now. Why not? I want a bike. And they just persistently keep asking. Children know how to ask. We are, should be like those children. We shouldn't be childish, but we should be persistent in that which is upon our heart to pray. We should keep asking. So in this parable, this person's persistence, their shameless persistence is triggered by their desperation. What are they desperate for? Well, that friend has had another friend come to his house, and he has no food to give him. So he has to go to this other friend to ask him for food to give this friend that has paid a visit to his home. Now, in Near Eastern culture, hospitality was a sacred duty. It was a sacred duty. You don't deny a stranger in your home food to feed them. That would be the worst thing you could ever do. 
It would be like being someone in charge of a wedding and you come to their reception and there's no food to eat. That would be unthinkable, wouldn't it? It would be unthinkable. In this story, this friend who's coming to visit his other friend has no food. Him not giving him food is unthinkable. It's a denial of sacred duty. He is in desperate need. That is behind the whole persistence. He is in desperate need. So what it's doing to us to tell us is that you, like this friend, are more desperate than you ever know. You are more desperate than you can imagine. Do you realize how desperate you really are? If you did, you would persistently, you would shamelessly pray. Because we all are in desperate need, spiritually. Each day, each moment, we're in desperate need. It's difficult, I find, for people sometimes to recognize how desperate they are or to be very public about what they need. When I was living in Williamsburg, Virginia, and pastoring there, I and another pastor were the co-hosts of a pastor's association. So we decided we need to have more tie with each other and the needs that we have so we know each other better. So during our time of prayer, we began to institute us praying for the needs that we had. So here are the ground rules. We're going to break up into smaller groups of two or three or four people. And when we do that, I want you to share a need that you have that you want prayer for. Here's what you can do. I don't want you to share somebody else's need. I don't want you to share what your son needs or what your daughter needs or what your wife needs, although we're not saying those are unimportant. We want you to learn how to talk about what, what do you need? What do you need prayer for? Understand? Okay. So we break up, and consistently, when they're talking about what they needed prayer for, I would say, uh, Brother John, I, I, I don't discount the importance of what you're talking about in wanting to pray for Uncle John, uh, but we want to pray for you. So what needs do you have that we can pray for? Pastors consistently did not know how to ask for prayers that they needed in their own lives. They were out of touch or were embarrassed to say, or for whatever reason would not talk about what they needed. So I find that to be true in the church as well. We are reluctant, or we don't know how. Well, we're out of touch of our, with our own needs. We don't even need to ask. We don't know how to ask our brothers and sisters, what do you need? We'd want to pray for you. So how many things should we be persistent about? How many things? Well, Philippians 4, 6 and 7 gives us a guideline which says, have no anxiety about anything. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. <laughs> so nothing is outside the realm of prayer. In fact, everything should be a matter of prayer. Everything we make a matter of prayer. That's how much we are to pray. Now notice it says, let your requests be made known to God. Let God know those requests. It doesn't say insist that God answer your prayer. 
I'm not insisting that God answer my prayer when I pray about everything. All I know is that this is on my heart, and I need to bring it to him that peace would fill my soul with what I want prayer for. I trust God to fulfill it as he determines is my need and his desire for me. I don't insist on it, but I'm honest about it. I'm always honest about it, and I can even be bold about it. But I need to be careful about insisting on it. There's a big difference. Prayer is the language of dependence, right? Prayer is the language of dependence. How do you know you're in the presence of someone who depends upon God for everything? Because they pray about everything. Or they ask for prayer about everything. When we pray little, we self-trust much. When we pray little, we self-trust much. The Puritan uh, theologian and pastor Matthew Henry said this, those who live without prayer live without God in this world. Those who live without prayer live without God in this world. A person who experiences the depth of God's fellowship and relationship is a person who prays much. They know the fellowship of God. But here would be a question I hope maybe you're thinking. You, 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 and a lot of people think this way. It's a, it's a great question to ask when we think about praying. So why do I pray with shameless persistence if God controls everything according to his purpose? If God controls everything, why do I need to pray at all? That's a good question, isn't it? It's a fair question. Why do I do that? Well, we know in Scripture it says in many places that God does control all things. I'll give you one place. This is Job 42.2. It says, I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. So if God's purposes will always be accomplished, Why in the world do I want to pray? God's purposes will not be thwarted. Well, here's what John Piper says about God's purposes in our praying. Listen carefully. He says, God providentially ordains all events. God never ordains an event without a cause. The event will happen if the cause happens. So, Answers or events to prayer are always ordained as effects or causes of prayer. God doesn't ordain effects without causes. Okay, so what did I just read? God is not just Lord of his purpose. He's Lord of the means. It's not just the end he's Lord of. He's Lord of the means. What is his means? He brings all things to pass according to his will as those saints pray. As we pray, which is a means, God causes the effects of his purposes. They are tied together. God accomplishes his purposes through prayer. God always does that. So I want to be clear that when we say that, that when we are persistent in our prayers, that God answers by our many prayers, I mean to say 
that God answers our many prayers through spirit-led prayers. Ephesians 6.18 says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. The thought being is I walk in the spirit as a Christian who fills me, who abides in me, who resides in me and leads me to pray, then I pray. As I'm led by the spirit, I pray. And when I do that, I'm affecting God's purposes for that which I pray for. Now look back at verse 1. Look back at verse 1. It says, now Jesus was praying. So was Jesus just praying because he was a man come to earth and he took on flesh? And he's doing that because he's taken on flesh? Or when he ascended, does he continue to pray? Oh, yeah, he does. Listen to this. We read this. Christ Jesus is the one who died. This is in Romans 8. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, and indeed is interceding for us. What? Really? Jesus continues to pray. Who is he praying for? Us. He's praying for us. Okay, isn't Jesus God? Yeah. Why is God praying? Can you explain that to me? Why does God pray? Well, I'll make it more complicated. It's not just God the Son that prays. God the Spirit also prays. So we read later in Romans 8, 27, the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit's God, right? Yeah. Why is God praying? Jesus, God the Son, we also see the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, both are praying for us. Why? What? Why? To accomplish God's purposes in and through us. And are there prayers enough to accomplish God's purposes? No. What else is needed? Our prayers. Our prayers are needed to accomplish God's purposes. God ordains the means, not just the end, the means of the Son praying, the means of the Spirit praying, and the means of the children of God praying. We are all praying. Now, this is a mystery, folks. This is a mystery. But it's a reality that God depends upon the prayers of the Son and the Spirit and the children of God to affect His purposes. Why? I don't know. We'll ask him when we see him. But he does. He depends on it. He depends on it. So first, the Holy Spirit and Jesus pray for us for at least two reasons. They pray for us for at least two reasons. One, they're much more aware of our deep-seated needs than we are. So they pray for us. We don't really know how to pray for ourselves as we ought. So they pray for us. Secondly that they're committed to fulfilling the triune God's purposes for us. You know what that makes prayer to be for us? It makes prayer for us to be a privilege, a privilege that we can affect the purposes of God in the work of God through prayer. It is a privilege to be a part of that. 
If you will not be a part of that, God will raise up others who will be. But God will raise up prayer to accomplish his purposes for his own glory. Do you want to be a part of that? Yeah. Well, let's pray. You should pray that this church be known for their prayer. Because the church you praise depends upon God to affect his purposes in them. Do you not want to see God's purposes fulfilled for City Church? If not, don't pray. Don't gather with the saints to pray. Don't pray when you're together with the saints. Pray little. You can expect little when you pray little. Then you should do that. But if you want much to happen, then we ought to be a praying people standing together because of our great needs and because of God's glorious purposes. He uses prayer to accomplish that. But listen, here, I'm not saying this when I talk about persistence. Matthew 6, 7 tells us what persistence is not. Matthew 6, 7 says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So I am not saying that when we pray, that we ought to in some way control how many things that we say or how we say them to get God to act on what we're praying for. God's not a vending machine. You're not looking for the right coins to put in the vending machine to get what you want. That's not what prayer depends upon and its answers. So that's not what persistent prayer is. So in Luke 11, the person who prays expects God to respond to his needs. I come to God with my neediness. I'm more and growing in more and more awareness of those needs, and it leads me to pray much. God honors our prayer because we are persistent. Secondly, God honors our prayers because we are his children. Not what we do, but who we are, because of who you are. Look at verse 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now the Holy Spirit is what we receive when we are converted, when we give our lives to Christ. We become temples of the Holy Spirit, and he abides in us eternally. John 7, 39 says, now this, is, now this he said about the Spirit, which those who believed in him were to receive. When we have faith in Christ as our only redeemer from sin, we receive the gift of gifts. You receive the gift of gifts, the Holy Spirit. God abides in you by his Spirit. Is there a greater gift? There's no greater gift than that. So I said at the beginning that we should uh, expect God to give us, we shouldn't expect God to give us everything we pray for. So why doesn't God grant us everything we pray for? Why doesn't he grant us everything we pray for? Two things to consider. First of all, sometimes our prayers are a substitute for obedience. Sometimes our prayers are a substitute for obedience. The things that you don't need to pray for are those things that are against God's will, right? So, I don't need to pray whether I should commit adultery with somebody else. Lord, is it okay if I mess around with Sally? Well, God's already made that clear, right? <laughs> so, we read in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, For this is the will of God, that you abstain from sexual immorality. I don't need to pray about that. I need to be obedient. We also read in 1 Thessalonians, I should be a thankful person. It says, give thanks 
in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. So I need to obey. I don't need to pray against those things which God's already willed in his word. I don't need to pray that I can or cannot do them. I need to pray that God give me grace to abide by them. They are not a substitute for obedience. So this is why we read in 1 John 5, 14, and this is the confidence, and this is the confidence which we have in him that if we ask for anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have obtained the request made of him. When will God grant me my request? When I pray according to his will, he will always grant my request. So I pray about everything because I don't really have the ability to know all this God's will for me and God's purposes for me. Some things are not very clear. So I bring all my requests of him. I don't insist on these things, but like a child, I bring those desires to him in prayer. God will answer and provide for what I prayed on those things that have touched upon his will for me. Always he'll answer that. James in his epistle even warns Christians of this proper motive for prayer. Listen to James 4, 3. It says, you do ask God for them and yet fail to receive because you ask with the wrong purpose and evil selfish motives. Your intention is when you get what you desire to spend it on your sensual pleasures. You were like unfaithful wives having illicit love affairs with the world and breaking your marriage vow to God. Here's what John Piper says about that passage. Listen to what Piper says. He says he, James, pictures the church as the wife of God. God has made us for himself and has given himself to us for our enjoyment. Therefore, it is adultery when we try to be friends with the world. If we seek from the world the pleasures we should seek in God, we are unfaithful to our marriage vows. And what's worse, when you go to our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Husband, and actually pray for the resources with which to commit adultery with the world, it's a very wicked thing. It is as though we should ask our husband for money to hire male prostitutes to provide pleasures we don't find in him. <laughs> because that kind of praying is outside the will of God. Don't pray that way. So here's the principle. We are always to make known to God all our requests, but to humbly insist on his will, not my will, be done. That's how we pray. So why won't grant God grant us everything we pray for? One, because sometimes our prayers are a substitute for obedience. There's another reason, a second one. This is the last one. Oftentimes we are poor judges of what's good or best for us. That's another reason why God may not answer our prayers, because we are oftentimes poor judges of what's good or best for us. Praying is not trying to talk God into something that he should give us that he won't or resist to give us what we want. It's not trying to talk God into anything. 
Stuart Briscoe says, the Father does not promise to grant positive answers to some of our requests because while we may think that we are asking for fish, what we may be desiring would be a serpent. Our system of values can't be so confused that we imagine to be bread could be as worthless as a stone. So we need to be honest as a child, but mature as an adult, to know that what we want God really to give us is what is according to his will, what is good for us and according to his purpose. I pray persistently and boldly, but I need to leave it up to him to know what's best for me. What is best for me? He always knows what's best. Here's how John Calvin, the French reformer who states this principle of answered prayer, he says, God does not answer our prayers as we pray for them, but as we would pray them if we were wiser. So why won't God grant us everything we pray for? Because sometimes our prayers are a substitute for obedience, and oftentimes, secondly, our prayers are, we are poor judges of what's good or best for us. That's why. Let me close with this. If you have your Bible, turn to John 14. If you've been around me very long, you've had me refer to this passage before, so this may be a review for you if you know me. John 14, 12. This is an absolutely amazing, unbelievable, phenomenal passage. I hope you see that as I read it. Here's what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Now, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. Is this true? Because Jesus is going to ascend, I'm going to do greater works than he did. Hell yeah, fat chance. You know, really? Why did he say that? Why did he say that? That's not true, is it? Well, it's not true if I just think of me exceeding his works, but what follows explains what he means. Look at verse 14. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Verse 13 says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Okay, this is going to become a little bit clearer. He is saying to the church, to the saints he leaves on earth, that collectively, as the body of Christ, as you pray persistently for God's will to be done, that persistent collective prayer all over the world, all over a given locale, will approach and exceed the work of Christ. So when you gather with the saints to pray, you are about to exceed the work of Christ by your praying. Because your prayers can reach around the world. If all the saints are praying, what impact does that have? It has the impact of God fulfilling his purpose for the world. That's what it does. Is that a privilege? Super privilege. Super privilege. I pray that City Church be known as a praying church. This church, this body, believes through collective prayer, this church will approach and exceed the work of Christ, and together, 
by their gathering and praying together boldly, persistently, they affect God's purpose through them. That is a high privilege. Let me quote just one last thing as I close. Charles Spurgeon, the great British preacher, says, We should pray when we are in a praying mood, for it would be sinful to neglect so fair an opportunity. We should pray when we're not in a praying mood, for it would be dangerous to remain in so unhealthy a condition. Would God make this body a church that prays, that affects God's purpose in this place and around the world? Would you be a people that see that as a privilege, that together you affect God's purposes for your life and the lives of others? He is glorified by that kind of praying. Let me pray. Lord, you know that if there's anything in my Christian life I struggle with as much, it would be praying. Lord, I see in my own heart that I am so self-dependent that I rely on me that, Lord, I don't recognize how desperate I really am. And, Lord, I just need to pray again. Teach me to pray. I pray for this body. Teach them to pray. Would this be a hallmark of City Church of East Nashville? Would people say, that church prays? That church depends upon the Lord. That church sees the work of Christ in and through them because they pray. Lord, make them known for that. Father, will you protect us from the evil one who would want anything else to be accomplished but that? Guard them, protect them. I pray they'd exercise the weapons or warfare that they have, that they can destroy the evil one through their praying. Lord, this we ask in your name. Amen.